think it'll be a little different this morning. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a, a history lesson. Because as I mentioned, we're talking about who God is and who his people are. And Moses asks this question in the middle of that reading, who am I? And I personally, I know who Moses is pretty well. A number of you know who Moses is pretty well, but there's a fair amount of you, I think, who, who don't perhaps know the, the story of Moses' life. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about who Moses is. I want you to identify with Moses a little bit this morning. I want you to hear about the life he led, the, the things that God brought into his life, the things that Moses brought into his own life. We'll talk about who this God is into whose service Moses was called. So friends, uh, grace and truth are yours in Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Moses lived about from us three and a half thousand years ago. And we heard about his life here in this reading. You've got this, this man who's tending sheep out in the wilderness when all of a sudden God appears to him in a burning bush and calls him to go rescue the Israelites. There is so much history involved in what's going on here, so much history that we don't have in the, the context right here, and it's important to understand what's going on here. So at that point, three and a half thousand years ago from us, a millennium and a half before Jesus walked the earth, God's people, the Israelites, were not living in the land of Israel at the time. Uh, for the last 400 years, they had been living in the land of Egypt. 400 years before Moses lived, so almost 4,000 years ago from us, there was a man named Jacob. Jacob, also called Israel, given that name by God, uh, brought his family down to Egypt to escape a famine that was ravaging the land of Canaan. Later it would be called the land of Israel, the land where they lived. And so Jacob's large family down there spent 400 years growing and growing and growing until by the time of Moses' life, this family of Jacob had become the nation of Israel. Millions of people living there in Egypt. When they moved down there at the beginning of those 400 years, uh, the Israelites, Jacob's family, were welcome. Uh, they were honored. There's a whole story behind that. One of Jacob's sons had saved Egypt from terrible disaster, and so Pharaoh welcomed this family with open arms. By this time, 400 years later, that's all been forgotten. There's a new dynasty of kings ruling Egypt, and they don't like this millions of people, strong nation living in their land. These new pharaohs, kings of Egypt, who themselves had conquered the previous dynasty, are worried that this other nation, these Israelites, whoever they are, are going to become strong enough to overthrow them in turn and take over Egypt. So they subjugate the Israelites to, to slavery. They, they force them to, to construct for them, to build the, the grand buildings that we know of ancient Egypt. And the time that Moses is born, the Egyptians, these, the rulers, are still so terrified of these Israelites that a horrendous new policy is installed. Pharaoh orders that every baby boy born to these Hebrews, these Israelites, be killed. It's at that time that this man, Moses, is born. And we're told that when Moses was born, his parents, later in scripture, it's to were told that they saw that this was not an 
ordinary child, whatever exactly that meant, whatever exactly uh, they saw in him, not only was he their son, they saw some. this was a special child. They tried to hide him. For three months, they kept him hidden at home, but eventually they, they came to the conclusion, we're not going to be able to keep this up. We cannot hide a three-month-old baby. Um, somebody's going to rat us out. The Egyptians are going to find out somehow. He's going to be taken from us. We may be killed. Think about our new little son, Levi, and I think about what, what they had to do next. must have been just a gut-wrenching choice, but what they did was they made a little basket out of reeds, and they put Moses in that basket, and they entrusted him to God. They put him in the Nile River and sent him off floating. Moses had an older sister, a girl named Miriam, and she, maybe, maybe her parents didn't know about this, but she decides to kind of walk along the river in the reeds to see what's going to happen to her baby brother as he floats away. And then there's this coincidence that could only have been engineered by God. Pharaoh's daughter, the, the daughter of the man oppressing the Israelites, the daughter of the man who has ordered that baby boys like Moses be killed, Pharaoh's daughter is coming down to the, to the river to take a bath. And she sees this basket floating in the river, and one of her servants goes and grabs it for her, and she opens it up, and she sees this baby. And we're told, this is Exodus chapter 2, the chapter before what we read here, we're told that she recognized immediately that this baby was one of the Hebrews, was one of those Israelites. Probably she saw that he had been circumcised, as had been the custom since Abraham's time. And that gave it away. Right? Otherwise, how, how would she know that this is a, a Hebrew baby boy? So by all rights, she should have brought this baby boy to her father, where he would be, or maybe just dumped him over in the river there herself, but she doesn't. Pharaoh's daughter adopts this baby. And she gives him this name that he has, Moses, which means drawn out of the water. And so Moses, who was to be killed by Pharaoh, ends up as the adopted grandson of Pharaoh, is raised in the Egyptian palace, is raised as a son of the royal family. He's tutored in all the, the wisdom and the knowledge of the ancient Egyptians, one of the most advanced civilizations of that era. Then we get to this Exodus chapter 3. How, how, how did we get here? How did we get from the guy miraculously, right, provided for by being saved by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace of Egypt? How is this guy all of a sudden in the selection we just read this morning ranching for his father-in-law in this, this backwater country called Midian? This would be like going down to the corner deli and finding a Rockefeller working counter. What's going on here? Well, we're told at the end of Exodus chapter 2 what happens. Moses eventually decides that he does not want to be a part of this dynasty, this, this uh, ruling family that's oppressing his people. He, at some point, he's been told that he's a Hebrew. It seems like his mother was honest about, or his adoptive mother, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, was honest about that with him. And he goes out to see how his native people are doing. And when Moses does that, he goes out and sees one of the Egyptians savagely beating one of the Israelite slaves. And we're told in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses kills that Egyptian. But it happens in an interesting way. We're told that when Moses kills the Egyptian, he looks around and he sees no one. And then he kills the Egyptian. So how, 
How, how would that take place if the Israelite who was being beaten was still present? Later in the Bible, a, a Christian named Stephen tells Moses' story, and he says that Moses took revenge when he killed the Egyptian. It seems that what happened was Moses waited until the man had, had finished beating this, this Israelite slave and gone away. Moses stalks this man. Waits until the two of them are alone. Moses makes sure, looks around, doesn't see anyone. And then he executes what we would call an act of vigilante justice. And he, he kills this Egyptian, not in active defense of this Israelite, but in cold blood. The next day, Moses goes out again. He sees two Israelites fighting. One quarreling with the other, coming to blows. And he tries to get between the two of them. Hey, guys, stop this. What are you doing? And one of them rounds on him and says, Oh, yeah? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? This makes Moses' heart skip a beat. Somebody found out. He had intended. There's no reason for Moses to have been surprised by this if he had killed that Egyptian in the presence of this other Israelite. The only reason that Moses is surprised by the fact that someone found out is that he did this, again, it's a vigilante in cold blood in the shadows. So Moses realizes that not only does Pharaoh, will Pharaoh find out that he's a murderer who has taken up violence against the Egyptians, the Israelites don't seem to support him. See, Moses wanted to, to lead his people to freedom, to, to liberate them. And so he's, he's starting off this campaign. You, mom, you almost picture Moses as wanting to be a kind of Batman, right? Hiding in the shadows, meeting out justice on his own terms, ready to, to lead an uprising when the time is right. But he's been found out. Pharaoh's going to know. The Israelites know. And they don't seem to care. What? Oh, big man, you're going to kill me like you did the other guy? So Moses flees. He, Moses skips town on a murder charge and runs. Runs to this, this backwater country called Midian where after a few misadventures he ends up marrying a rancher's daughter and spends the next 40 years of his life. He's 40 years old when he kills this Egyptian and he spends the next 40 years of his life poking sheep with a stick. That's where this, this prince of Egypt, this man who received the ancient world's equivalent of a PhD education, that's where he ends up. It's at that point that God calls him. As we read in our text this morning, God appears to him there in the burning bush. God says, Moses, what you wanted to do 40 years ago, lead my people to freedom, liberate them, it's time calling you. I'm going to send you to announce to Pharaoh that he should free my people, let them return to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that I promised to their father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses is, right, he's excited, he's exuberant, he's skipping his way home to tell his wife. But, mm, no. Moses is scared. That's at this point where we get those words from which today's theme comes. Who, who am I? Moses asks, who am I that I should go and do this, that I should go and be the leader? At one point, Moses very clearly thought he was exactly the right guy to do this. He was exactly the right guy to lead Israel out of Egypt, to lead this uprising, to, to fight off their oppressors. Right? He took things into his own hands. Forty years is a long time, though. 
Moses had spent 40 years meditating on his, his failure, his rejection, shame. And now when God calls him, Moses says, not me. No way. We talked about our worship theme this morning, right? Being who is God and who are his people. God comforts Moses with that announcement to him of who he is. I am who I am, God says. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers. I am the God who has always been and will always be. You should tell the Israelites when you get there, I am has sent you. Moses is meant to find his comfort, his strength, his assurance about this mission, not in himself, not in his PhD education, not in the physical strength which he used to murder a man in cold blood, and none of that. The identity of his Savior, God, his gracious Lord. Moses eventually does go. He goes to Egypt, and there he spends what's probably the most triumphant year of his life announcing God's message to Pharaoh through the, the infamous ten plagues, right? these, these disasters of, it's where we get the idea of a disaster of biblical proportions, right? As we use that phrase, it's a reference to these ten plagues. God announces these disasters on Egypt as, as warnings to them. Let my people go. Let my people go each time, bringing a more severe punishment on the Egyptian people until finally it culminates with the death of every Egyptian firstborn son. A, a pretty ironic twist considering that was what Moses was originally threatened with as a child, huh? Finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. Moses triumphantly leads God's people out of Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind, comes after them with his army. God does another miracle through Moses. He uses Moses to open up the Red Sea. The Israelites march through on dry land, and when the Egyptian army pursues them through the ocean, God swallows them up in the waters. Then Moses leads the Israelites to Mount Sinai, this place where God spoke to him, Horeb, Sinai, the mountain where God speaks with his people. Moses goes up onto the mountain and beholds God. He and the elders of Israel go up onto the mountain. They sit on this miraculous lapis lazuli pavement, this glittering gemstone ground, and they sit with God who's on a throne and they eat and drink with him. And God instructs them, now it's time. From here, head to Canaan. Enter the land. The land flowing with milk and honey. The land that I've promised you. And Moses leads the people through the wilderness to Canaan and they get to the edge and they send scouts into the land to prepare for their invasion. And the scouts come back and they're terrified. And they give this frightening report to the people. The, the people in this land that God wants us to enter, we look like grasshoppers to them. These mighty, strong people, people of Israel, rebel against Moses. It would be better for us if we were back in Egypt. At least we had food there. They say we were working hard. Sure, we were building these buildings. They were trying to kill us, but at least we had food there. You're starving us out here in the desert, and now we're going to get all killed as we try and march into Canaan. God is furious. 
So God announces to these Israelites, to these people that Moses has spent most of his life at this point trying to bring to freedom in Canaan. God announces to the Israelites, you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Not a one of you who rebelled against me here today will get to enter Canaan. Your children's children will be the ones who I bring into the land. Moses' stomach must have turned over. Forty years he had spent in Pharaoh's house before trying to liberate the, Egypt, the, the Israelites from Egypt. He had been rejected. Forty years he had spent meditating on his failure, on his shame, before God finally called him to do that work. And now he's going to spend another 40 years wandering around with these people in the wilderness before getting to go into Canaan still? Another 40 years? You get the impression from when Moses kills that Egyptian at the beginning of his life that he's got a little bit of an anger problem. And that plays out a few times as he leads Israel wandering through the wilderness. It culminates in this one event. Uh, Moses, who's always had a bit of a temper problem, frazzled because his sister has just died, has the people grumbling and griping about there not being any water. And God tells Moses, I'm going to send forth water. Speak to this rock over here and I'll send forth water. And Moses instead chews out the people, just levels them with withering, angry rebuke, and then he hits the rock and says, I've brought you water. Instead of giving the credit to God. So God announces to Moses, what's probably the hardest thing Moses ever heard in his life, Moses Neither will you enter the promised land. You will also die here in the wilderness before the Israelites enter the land. Who is Moses? Right? What a light. That, that's Moses. This question that he asks God, who am I? Who am I to deserve to bring Israel into the promised land? All we find out across the course of Moses' life is that even though he is eminently qualified, brilliant man, a strong man, a capable leader, he doesn't deserve to lead them into the promised land. The Israelites themselves don't deserve to enter the promised land. The Bible is a story of a lot of people who don't deserve God's love, being loved by him, Nonetheless, that's what God announces to Moses as he talks about who he is. And the God of Abraham. Abraham did not deserve God's love. I'm not going to try and do a biographies of every Bible person that gets mentioned this morning because the biography of Moses took us enough time there. Let me just tell you, Abraham does not deserve God's love. I'm the God of Isaac. Let me tell you, Isaac does not deserve God's love. I'm the God of Jacob. Jacob does not deserve God's love. Jesus comes into the world and calls this man Matthew into his service, a tax collector, a, a cheatster, a fraud. If we think that, uh, that our tax system is bad, you, you should have been under the, uh, the ancient Romans and their tax collectors. Matthew did not deserve to be called by Jesus into his service. The Apostle Paul talks about himself in that reading. We heard a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, 
He did not deserve to be called into God's service. Why? Why do none of us deserve these things? Well, again, let's think about who Moses is. Let's identify with him a little bit. Moses was a, a privileged man. And in a very literal sense, he, he grew up in Pharaoh's household, right? If we're going to talk about silver spoons, household of one of the most powerful nations in the ancient world. His, his grandfather is the king. His, his mother, his adoptive mother, the, the crown uh, princess. What did he do with that privilege? He tried to turn himself into the leader of a movement. Tried to take up arms for his people. Murdered a man. Moses abused God's gifts given to him. Right, simply the gift of physical strength. Right, the, the life, the hands, the power that God gave him, he used to, to, to murder. You and I are abusers of God's gifts as well. There's a nice handy uh, three-word phrase that we can use to talk about, sum up all of the gifts that God gives us. He gives us our time. He gives us our talents. He gives us our treasures. And we misuse all of those. Uh, we misuse our time. But we fail to prioritize God, his word, and our neighbor correctly. Instead, we spend our time on ourselves. Fail to prioritize the use of our talents correctly. As Moses used talents, referring not just to like our skills, but our physical abilities. Moses misusing his strength in murder. How do we misuse our, our abilities? We always use them to serve God and serve our neighbor or our physical capabilities often used in self-service. Our treasures. Right? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where are our treasures? Where do we place the, the financial blessings that God pours out on us so richly? Who is Moses? You and I are Moses. Unworthy people. Abusers of God's good gifts called into his service. I'm talking about how, to, to use some theological language, I'm talking about how you and I are like Moses in terms of the law. We also talk about how you and I are like Moses in terms of the gospel. His very name, uh, drawn out of the water, Moses. Now you're a Moses as well. Drawn out of water in your baptism. Into the king's household brought through baptismal water and adopted into the family of the ruler of the universe, not just the ruler of Egypt three and a half thousand years ago, brought into God's family. In that household, Moses received wisdom and teaching. That's what you received too in God's family as God speaks to you through his word. He blesses you with, with wisdom, with insight, with reflection with his law gospel message. And you're like this, you're like Moses in, in one more way too. I didn't talk about this fact yet. At the very end of his life, he's not allowed again, he's not allowed to enter Canaan, he's not allowed to enter the promised land. But God lets him come on up onto the mountain outside Canaan to look into this land to which the people are finally coming. And there Moses dies having looked into the land, and God buries him. God himself digs a grave. God himself 
lowers Moses' body into that grave. God himself hovers over Moses' body. God cared about Moses and his death. I don't want this to sound morbid. I want this to sound comforting. God cares about your death, too. And God is the one who is going to be with you when you die. God knows when you will die. He has planned that out. And that is not, again, something I want you to hear is morbid. Your death is planned because he loves you. He does not intend for you to be alone. He knows the time. He knows the place. He knows the manner. Because he intends to be there with you. Moses saw an earthly promised land on the top of that mountain. But when he died and God had buried his body, Moses got to see the heavenly promised land. He got to sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb. With Abraham. With Isaac, with Jacob, with all these sinners who did not deserve to enter that kingdom. When you die, that is where you will sit as well. In just a moment, we're going to confess a creed together. Uh, it's something that we always do at the end of, or after the sermon. Um, today we're going to use the Athanasian Creed. Usually we do this on Trinity Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrated last week. Today we're going to use it because it really clearly proclaims to us who our God is, this Savior God, this Creator God. These words were written about 1,400 years ago by Christians to explain just exactly who it is, this God who loves you like that, who loved Moses, who loved Moses' fathers, who loves you. Amen.